Welcome to the East Bay's best podcast, The Capstone Conversation. This is a show that interviews political, government, and community leaders in Alameda, Contra Costa, and Solano counties. We look at what is going on in your city, how are we developing things economically, and where are we going from here? I'm your host, Jared Ash. Welcome to the Capstone Conversation. I am your host, Jared Ash. Today, we are joined by Councilman Kerry Hillis from Moraga, a small city kind of at the entrance in Contra Costa County. We're going to hear a little bit more about his city, and we're going to learn a little bit more about the councilman who has been uh, hard at work since he took office in November. Kerry, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to run last year for public office? Sure. So I moved to Moraga in 2017 with my wife. We, we were looking for a community that we wanted to live in and we've really just fell in love with Moraga and we've been here since we're now on our second house here and have three kids, which we didn't have those children before we moved. You know, I'm just very passionate about public service. I have been, uh, working in and around government professionally for all of my career, uh, prior to running, I, uh, served on the town's planning commission and we have the housing element that every community in California is, uh, is required to have approved this year. It was just really a beast. And I knew as somebody who had been thick in the development on the planning commission side that I really could just, uh, walk in and help. I am the only member of the council that is employed and has young children. So I have both a perspective that I don't think was there before to the same extent, uh, that we did have a younger councilwoman that was there. She was more at the beginning of her, her family life. The closest person to me on the council, I think is a, is a couple decades older than me. So it's provides, or it's a benefit to the town, but it also has its own complications as I'm sure anyone with young children in a job can understand with a. A volunteer role that requires a whole lot of time. Sure. Well, I understand it. I have three little girls at home and they, they keep us busy. I, I actually tonight have to stick a ribbons and then put them on everybody's folder before we leave town for the weekend for swim meets. So I got a lot of fun volunteer jobs there, but, but my kids are happy and we love it. So I understand that. You mentioned the housing numbers. Mm-hmm. Rena is this word that people talk about and. Why don't we start by, can you define what RENA is and where that is coming from? And then let's address what Moraga is doing, but let's define it for everyone first. I uh, don't know the, uh, the precise definition of the, uh, the acronym, something like regional housing allocation need or something. I think that might be it. Um, previous to every eight years, every community in California is required to uh, create a new housing element. The housing element will reflect a housing allocation that's received from housing, the state housing and community development department. That then uh, goes to the regional planning hub for each region. Ours is ABAG, and uh, that's the Association of Bay Area Governments. The Association of Bay Area Governments then allocates every community what the reach, uh, their portion of the regions, uh, have a thing the allocation. I think the whole Bay area had 
and I don't want to get this number wrong. My memory is saying that it was around 400,000 total units of housing that had to be accomplished over the year planning period. So then once you get your allocation, you have an option, you can protest it. In the past, there wasn't any real need to protest. Rena was seen as to, you know, to quote, uh, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. It was more like a guideline rather than a rule. Communities got their number. Almost no one met the number and there was no consequence to it. There have been multiple changes in state law in recent years since the last housing element eight years ago, which has put a lot more teeth into it. If you, if you choose not to comply with your housing allocation, you can be fined up to a hundred thousand dollars a month for a community uh, that's not in compliance. Ultimately, you could also have your zoning taken over by a judge who will say where your housing will go. You, there's also something called the builder's remedy, which is a somewhat Byzantine or a not Byzantine, but a, a really old provision, which was put in the nineties that no one really used, which essentially means that. If there is not a compliant housing element in effect in a community, a builder can come in and disregard zoning and the general plan. And I think, I don't know what the limitations are and what they could build, but some communities like in Santa Monica were faced with high rises going into neighborhoods where they had traditional single family residential homes. So there's a lot of sticks. There are very few carrots that are provided uh, by the state in order to really try to accomplish a lot of this. It, it caused, there was a, a failed attempt at, at a ballot measure last year to actually retake a lot of this authority. But long story short, on like the negative of it, for my community, we are a community of approximately 17,000 people, very small, most uh, cities in the Bay Area. That would be about the size of a council member's district, not the entire town. Uh, we have no access to highways that's by design the community actually incorporated 50 years ago to block highways from coming through. We also don't have direct access to rapid transit. Our primary transit option, the bus. So, and we're surrounded by uh, high fire danger areas. So we are a cul-de-sac community with limited ways in and out of town. And so that then presents on us unique challenges. The benefits are also, it, it kind of uh, you know, pushes us to do things with our community that have needed to be done for a long time. The community was really designed before 50 years ago, before it was incorporated, to be a community that was going to have highways go through it. It has two strip malls that were built in the 50s with that understanding, and they don't really fit the current uses that, that the residents of our town have. So what the current arena allocation and housing requirements have done is really force the argument. It's not one that can really be held off in the future. I've described to constituents that if the state's going to hand us lemons, we should make lemonade. And that is what we're trying to do. We now are with our housing element, which we just did. We've heard from the CD that it will be approved after our last council vote uh, to make some rather minor changes to what we originally had back in January. So now we are going to be one of the few communities in the Bay Area that are actually in compliance. I think there are a handful that are already in compliance. Orinda is one. Well, the Creek may be one, but I can't recall specifically. Nope. Okay. Um, but Moraga is going to get added to that list. And we have two primary uh, landowners, well, three really, at our two shopping centers 
one family owns the, the main uh, one at the other end of town, which historically has been envisioned as where we would have a downtown if we ever built one. We still have it yet. The one on the other side of town has our movie theater. It's uh, proximal to most of our government buildings. And that, uh, that one, we have two landowners, St. Mary's College, and also, I believe it's U.S. Realty Partners. And both of them are very motivated. And we are hopeful. I may be having a meeting later on this afternoon about this specifically, that we will have some development occurring very soon. It's exciting. Um, there haven't been, hasn't been much investment in this area. And just so for context, 17,000 people in my community, our arena allocation was 1,118. And then in order to meet the required buffer the state puts in place, we actually had to plan for 1,800 units. So for our community, this arena cycle, if we were to accomplish it as we are, as we're going to try to, has the potential to dramatically change um, my community, both for better or worse. But this isn't it. Then we also have another arena cycle that's coming uh, in another eight years. And that's a whole different subject where I think that this current cycle, it will improve our community. It'll make it a more walkable community, a more desirable community. It is a high resource area, but most people coming in would say it certainly doesn't look like one. Our primary feature is a hillside, which fortunately now is an open space that uh, high school students have been covering with graffiti for decades. Most people don't know the story for why it's there. So they look at that like, what's that? And that's their defining characteristic. But we're hoping for the future that uh, St. Mary's College will be our defining characteristic. And we will also have a beautiful community where the shopping centers at our gateways will help to define what Moraga actually is. So with this, are the strip centers in Moraga likely to get redone in the next couple of years? And what is the town's role in guiding that? So we are, uh, I'll hit the one that's less likely to occur first. So the, we call it the Moraga Center. We have a Moraga Center specific plan that has been in development for 15, 20 years. It, the, almost all of the land, if not all of the land in the Moraga Center is owned by one family. They have a long history with Moraga, but it hasn't always been positive from both perspectives. We are working to try to improve that relationship. Uh, I really see this as a one second. I'm giving a, a constituent call. Let me let them know. Anyway, I, I, we are working to try to improve that relationship and I'm hopeful it is that particular area. It's on the, the other side of town for where I reside. It's one of the largest undeveloped tracts of land, uh, in terms of infill development. Uh, in the Bay Area. I mean, we're not talking about an, on the same scale as the, the Concord military base uh, or some of the former military land in Alameda, but this is all old pear orchard that has never been developed. Uh, and it's right in the center of town. Um, if it can happen, it would be great. But I'm not, I'm, I hold out hope, but I'm not confident. I am confident because the plans are in the works and potentially submitted. I'll find that out later today for some developments over at the other side of town. That is going to happen um, almost assuredly in the next few years. I'm expecting St. Mary's to, St. Mary's has a, uh, one of their campuses uh, in that area, which is, they basically just converted the building in, in the existing strip mall. They own the parking lot. And I think it's a, a slightly over two acres 
of land and they are motivated to redevelop their parcel into mixed student and faculty housing. The mixed piece is key because we do, we cannot waste based on the way the state law is written. Student housing doesn't count towards affordable housing arena, but if it's mixed student and faculty or then it does count. So the fact that was already where St. Mary's was means that we are almost assuredly going to have a significant development on that location that will really be able to help anchor um, the the new look to that side of town. Similarly, the uh, U.S. Realty Partners, who owns uh, most of the entire shopping center across the street, is they already have a potential grocery store partner um, that they've signed to move into their into that area, and they're fast tracking. They've never done housing before, but they do own land all over California. So they're learning now because of Rena that they're going to have to get into housing. So fortunately, we, with the idea that we were really going to need to, to do big things in our small community, we hired a big, a big city manager as our new city manager this year, town manager this year. He previously had uh, been the, the city manager for the city of Thousand Oaks. Um, and also for uh, the county executive for two other counties. Uh, and he works for a consulting firm prior to coming to us that specifically focused on redevelopment of underutilized shopping centers. So we are motivated. We're doing this. It's happening. Moraga in the, this eight-year housing period, and at least one end of our town, is going to change dramatically. That's great. And a couple of things to pick up on what you said in there is, People wonder why Cal State East Bay, the Concord campus, is so far into the middle of sort of nowhere up a big hill. And also, often when you see trauma centers like the John Muir Trauma Center in Walnut Creek, because there was supposed to be, if you look at a map of 680, 24, and then 4th, the road that is Ignacio Valley Road, Ignacio Kirker Pass becomes railroad down, was supposed to be, there was supposed to be a scenic bypass put in with just a handful of exits. And because you talked about a freeway coming into Moraga, it was supposed to happen down here in the 60s and then got denied by voters. But people set up business operations, hospitals, a college campus, and the Concord Pavilion. Why is the Concord Pavilion in the middle of nowhere? It was supposed to be a um, an interstate. And that's the story from Moraga. There was Highway 277 was supposed to come across um, from Oakland into Moraga using an abandoned rail tunnel, that the tunnel is still there. And in some places in Oakland, I think you can even still see signage for Highway 277, though it doesn't exist, and it was blocked. In addition to that, Bollinger Valley Road, there's a small strip of Bollinger Valley Road in Moraga. There's another larger strip of Bollinger Valley Road in Danville. Those roads were supposed to connect, and that was another one of the projects that had been blocked. Also, there were plans, and I don't know if this was a scenic byway, um, but 24 was supposed to go through Moraga and connect to 680. And so the landowners at the time, which were one of them was Donald Reem, who a lot of the buildings here are named after. He actually developed the, the, the property that I'm sitting in now. He established the Reem Shopping Center specifically with the idea that it was going to be a stop-off site with a movie theater that people would be able to, to that zooming by on the highway would be able to get off and, 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 and shop at didn't quite work out that way. That's interesting. It's good history about 
your city and sort of ha- it, how it's come about and why it stayed a small town in a lot of ways, a little isolated from a lot of the other main parts of the Bay Area. Uh, just on those ringing numbers, I think part of the allocation for our, our audience to understand, for those that aren't familiar with it, is the state has put all these sticks out because for so long, particularly small communities, have not done housing, uh, have not done multifamily housing, have not addressed workforce housing. And this was to sort of say to those towns, evolve, mm-hmm. right? Start doing it. And you see places like Moraga was just talking with somebody in Danville about their housing numbers, as well as Concord develop, uh, which is a much bigger city, develop plots of land that needed to become housing to address their affordability here. Yeah, there's, there are benefits, but at the same time, we live in a reality of a warming planet. I think everyone remembers back in 2020 when the skies were orange. And that was because of the fires that were coming through. If you're, if you're our age uh, or older, you also remember the Oakland Hills fire that came through and devastated the East Bay Hills, which I live in. These are realities that are going to become more and more real where I really, I'm a Yimby. I want development. I, the, the areas where I have voted and I, uh, a council member that has voted for more housing in my town than, than previous generations of of councils that believe that I don't know if I can't say particularly it was ever, but most of the housing in Moraga was built before this became a town. Before I got here, we had almost no new housing built in the previous 30 years. We had, since then, we've had three different developments built and we have a lot more on the, in the, in the pipeline. And, but I also have limits in my Indianism. When I say yes, I'm saying to how I'm in the middle of town. I'm saying, yes, infill the housing on this side of me and infill housing on that side of me. Where I have problems is housing that's over on the outskirts of the wildland urban interface, where it is next to uh, wildland that up or to, to parks or to land that's controlled by East, East Bay mud that hasn't done the greatest job over the last century in mitigating um, their fuels. So... And then you also look at the fact that we have limited ways in and out of town. So some of the areas in the outskirts of Moraga, they could be 20 minutes from where I am. And if I'm 20, and if I am 15 minutes from the highway, you now have a significant issue if you're trying to evacuate people and you're loading them out on the periphery. So where I really bristle is in how the right housing in the right place. So Moraga does have capacity to build more housing in our core. We know that because of our limited ways in and out of town, I mean, that's what makes Moraga a special place, but it also is what puts Moraga at risk. We are going to have to uh, most likely shelter in place in the event of an emergency. But if we continue to push out on the periphery, you're going to get a, a situation which there was a, uh, a Nova episode that came out a few years ago, which was the something like the anatomy of fire. And it specifically talked about, or the anatomy of the mega fire. And I think it was a, a story about the fire of paradise. And it was talking about the risk of, con- given the changing climate, of continuing to push out and build in places that have never been built before, that have limited way- ingress and egress, have limited amounts of, of fuels mitigation. And that is the, that's the rub. 
and there's not a lot of tools that are provided. So when ABAG received its, its RENA allegation, Moraga's number was originally significantly smaller. The members though of ABAG, some of the, like some cities in Santa Clara County bristled at the numbers that they were getting and others. And the school, what about these other high resource areas, which was what Moraga is termed. Moraga, Orinda, Lafayette, we're termed high resource areas because we have a largely affluent community. It, we have really good schools. So they changed the algorithm to really pack in more housing into these high resources areas, but also not necessarily looking at the unintended consequences. So at some point, Moraga is going to get to where we are not going to be able to meet future arena allocations. That's what I was hitting out of. I think we can accommodate this cycle. Once we move on into the future, if this situation continues, and if there is still just sticks without the ability to actually look at reasonably where we should be building housing. For me, I looked at undeveloped land. You have to have a reason to build on it. You can't, uh, and you have to know that it's going to be safe. And not only that it's going to be safe for the people that are going to live there, for the people that are around, that are going to live around it. And right now, state law doesn't provide many tools for us to be able to restrict housing in that periphery area that's never been built before. That's interesting. I've heard some complaints from some local, some other local towns that have said it really just, there's no set standard in some ways from the state. It really depends on who is judging you, um, who is the state employee and what they are looking for and, and what are their personal thoughts uh, has been a complaint from a number of other people that I have talked to from the greater East Bay here. And you're right, somebody else is going to view open space differently in terms of protecting it or residential single families. I know some of the towns in Contra Costa have said, well, they came back and said, yes, that's great that you've surpassed your numbers and everything else, but you have this single family residence, general neighborhood that could use it, a condo building. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why? Right. And then another town, Orinda got theirs passed without having a, to build on the hillside. Well, the same thing. It's like, it, so just a comment on that. So our housing element has not changed all that much substantively. We've added no new housing. We've uh, changed primarily semantics since we submitted it prior to the deadline in January. Since then, we've been sort of sitting here with a sort of Damocles hanging over our head that some builder might decide to come in and utilize the builder's remedy um, uh, because we were uh, an unelected individual at um, housing and urban or housing community development was deciding, was sending form letters that were very similar to what other communities received, making comments that weren't necessarily directly about what our housing element even said or did. And now after working with them repeatedly since the end of January to now where we're near the end of July, we are finally now uh, ready to finish it after changing primarily minor uh, non-substantive language in the housing element Again, putting our community at risk for development that is inappropriate for us while somebody in Sacramento who is unelected decides on whether or not our housing element meets their criteria. My, I've described it to, other, to, to some of my colleagues that I've spoken to at the League of Cities as it's almost impossible to get them to yes. You have all of these sticks. We see your sticks. We are doing what you've asked. Approve our element. And that is, has been the, the, the problem. I don't know if it's a a resources issue at the state or what, but it has been very difficult. Fortunately, and 
I'm saying this is a community that's going to be one of the first in the Bay Area to actually get theirs approved. There's others who are much further along and will continue to be at risk. That's interesting. I want to change the subject a little bit. You've talked a bunch about fire safety as it relates to a community that has limited access to ways in and out. Your cul-de-sac community, as you described it, you're surrounded by open space, hills, trees. What tips do you have for your residents or anybody regarding fire safety and preparing for the upcoming fire season? The Roger Rinda Fire District is great. They have drives through Long Rinda, particularly in Rinda and, La- and Morag and Lafayette. You will see a significant difference between the clearance, the vegetation clearance that's been achieved in Moraga and Rinda versus Lafayette. The difference is Lafayette isn't an MOFD. Lafayette has their fire service handled by Confire. So Confire has different regulations. They haven't required as much clearance. We are required to do very similar levels of clearance to what, you know, my mom had to do with our cabin up in the Sierras for the last 30 years where, you know, you have to clear debris, you have to limb trees up to six feet above the ground to prevent um, fire. So my advice is to, to, to look to your fire district, to your fire department for what their uh, requirements are. If they are not as forward thinking as our fire district in terms of requiring them, do what you can to meet those requirements. In addition, just like you have to have an emergency go bag in the event of, uh, of an earthquake that has supplies for your family, water, food, potential clothing to sufficient to last for 72 hours, you should develop that because you never know. We have one. My wife knows where it is. The, our nanny knows where it is. I'm at work. And if something happens, and this, we came close to that point two years back where we were at our other property and we saw the hill um, that was less than a quarter mile from our house, the one that has the graffiti all over it, uh, caught on fire. And uh, I was I'm, I'm at a business uh, event across the state. And my wife is sending me pictures of helicopters coming in and dropping uh, flame were charging like right outside of our master bedroom window. And we had to be, re- and they were ready to go. We had walkie talkies that were charged. We had, uh, our backpack with our emergency supplies. We knew our evacuation routes to get in and out of town. And that's the other key thing. It's not always the best, even with seeing that it's not always the best idea to evacuate unless you hear that from first responders. And part of the reason for a community like ours is everyone hit the road at the exact same time to get out of town, no one would go anywhere because we, our fire chief, Chief Winokur has told us that our road system in Moraga is already insufficient to handle just the people we have here now. You have a, a mass casualty or, or catastrophic event and everyone gets on the road at the same time, no one's going anywhere. So pay attention to, to law enforcement, to public safety. We are go- we're also going to be funding for our communities an evacuation study. So that we know, uh, so we can better inform our residents what group you're in when you need to get out of town and what uh, other modifications need to be done to ensure that we can keep people safe. Also, if your fire district fire department has not imposed new fire standards, MOFD, I would say they have one of some of the best fire building standards in terms of what plants are safe to plant in front of your house, what safe distance there should be two feet from the property itself, whether or not you need to have sprinklers on your roof, on top of your roof, not inside your house, so that they can put out embers. So that all of those things, they're expensive, but there's a lot of things that folks can do to prepare. 
Interesting. So yeah, that's great advice. I really appreciate you getting into that and how your town addresses that and the infrastructure as you deal with housing. Let's just pivot and talk a little bit about your yourself. Uh, what do you like to do in your free time? Uh, being a council member is what I do in my free time. Uh, and be a father, be a council member, because I, I still have a full-time job and I work for a, a, a large government transit agency. Uh, so it's, I am doing, I am a member of Moraga Town Council because I am passionate about public service. We, we've decided that democracy is the form of government that we're going to use to, to govern ourselves and not enough people make the sacrifice and make the commitment because it is a sacrifice. Then our government will function. And I think you can look at what's happened nationally and otherwise in recent years to if good people don't raise their hand and get involved, somebody will. Yeah, that's, that's a good takeaway. And our last question is, how can our listeners uh, learn more about you? And if you follow me on Instagram, Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y-M, Hillis, H-I-L-L-I-S. You can also go to my website, which is carriehillis.com. Appropriately enough, you can email me a couple ways, either carrie at carriehillis.com or khillis at moraga.ca.us. Great. Well, appreciate your time. Thank you for being here today. We're with Councilman Carrie Hillis from Moraga. Thanks for having me. like to thank our sponsors, Capstone Government Affairs and Economic Development, a firm where I serve as managing partner. For more information, check us out at www.capstonegov.com and follow us on LinkedIn by typing in Capstone Government. Thank you for listening to today's show. Check out the show notes and for a full transcript, visit our website, www.capstonegov.com and follow us on LinkedIn by typing in Capstone Government or you can find me, your host, Jared Ash.